Red Sox, blogging the Red Sox.com podcast. Uh, first episode of the new year, right here. So, I, and today I'm happy to be joined by our Red Sox co director of international scouting, Todd Klaus. Todd, thank you for joining me today. Uh, how's your new year going so far? Good. Happy new year to you, Brendan. Thanks for having me, man. I can't, I can't complain. I haven't hit the road yet, so I've enjoyed a, about a two, three week break here. So, uh, looking forward to kicking it off here down in the Dominican in about a week. Yeah, before we get into like what you're doing right now, being in the Dominican, but I wanted to first ask about uh, your playing career. I know you told me you didn't have much of a playing career. What did you pick up from that time that led you to uh, pursue a career in scouting in the first place? Well, scouting career kind of happened by default because I wasn't very good as a player. <laughs> but uh, uh, Tom Kochman signed me as a non-drafted free agent out of the University of North Florida. Uh, senior sign and... Uh, was lucky enough to ascend to double a so played for about three and a half years and uh when i finished my my playing career uh, all with the angels uh, i went back to school as a grad assistant for a year and then the angels hired me back as a uh, as a hitting coach so in today's uh at the ripe age of 25 that's pretty much when i kicked off my uh my coaching and, and, and scouting career so uh, in between, I believe your final year of playing was 1993 and 2002. Your first season as a manager in the minors, uh, what did you do? Like, what did you pick up from your various roles? Uh, well, as a player, I mean, you you learn the ins and outs of what a player goes through, um, the daily grind. You know, um, you know, the minor leagues is it's it's not for the for the weak player. I mean, you've got to you've got to show up every day. And I think you just learn how to professionalize really as a player. And that helped me as a coach, you know, understanding how hard the game is to play. Um, it, it makes you a little bit more lenient, I would say, uh, and not getting so frustrated with, with guys that don't have immediate results. So certainly uh, my playing background helped me as a coach. You know, and then as, as a coach, I mean, I, that certainly helped me as a scout, um, just being around the game every single day, uh, seeing it only from a player's eyes, really. For the longest time and then as a developer's eyes and then when I shifted into scouting it becomes a whole different ball game and I I think the balance of the two is really really crucial for who's in scouting or player development to sort of get their their hands on both or at least understand uh, what goes into both so you know my exposure to player development and scouting has given me a, a pretty broad perspective of in the big leaguer. Coming from the Angels to the Red Sox in 2004, I believe it was, what was the key differences you noticed between like professional baseball on the West Coast versus professional baseball on the East Coast, if there were any? Um, yeah, I, you know, West Coast baseball is kind of like date night and East Coast baseball sort of go for the jugular. You know, it's, kinda, it's uh, yeah, you, you take your buddies and your, you know, dates or whatever to the East Coast ball games, but uh a little bit more rowdy, I would say, and a heck of a lot more passionate. I mean, obviously, Red Sox Nation is unlike anything in the world, in my experience, fan base. And they're hard on us, but they're fair. You know, you do it right, um, Red Sox Nation loves you. You don't, uh, you're in trouble. <laughs> when you managed in Sarasota and Portland, you had some pretty stacked teams, I would say. Like, yeah. Uh, so um, could you ever envision the guys you managed back then, like Pedroia, Ellsbury? Brandon Moss, David Murphy, Hanley Ramirez, Jonathan Pavelbon, and John Lester going on to have the sort of big league careers they wound up having? 
Yeah, heck of a roster. Um, you know, Lester, obviously, we can't talk about. He's still an active player. But, you know, the rest of the guys, it was a heck of a squad to step into. Um, to have Hanley and Pedroia, who I believe were both rookies of the years at some point, you know, to have both of those guys on the same team. And then, you know, Mossy, a guy like him and, and Murphy, they both had 10-year big league careers. Um, to have both of those guys at different stages of the year were just unbelievable. I think the biggest treat for me, it, it just wasn't a one-and-done kind of year because I followed that group to Portland for the next couple of years and watched how those guys really started to professionalize. And uh, that, that for me is the level that, that really you can tell whether or not a guy is going to be able to compete at the big league level. So that was a heck of a team in Sarasota. I think the question I always get is, did you guys win at all? <laughs> I said, no, I don't even think we made the playoffs. And they're like, man, you stink. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, no kidding. This, at least I didn't get anybody hurt. So, but it was a, it was a heck of a group to step into. That's for sure. And in uh, 07, 08, you were in uh, advanced scale, correct? Yeah, after uh, managing for three years, too, in Portland, um, I had a conversation with with Ben Charrington and Theo and and also Tito, and they had a role for me with Dana Levangi as a – Dana was the time doing the uh, the advance work, and we added a guy to make it a two-man job. Um, you know, advanced scouting, the way it was traditionally done, is you're in the seats pretty much every day. It's a grind. Um, it's a thankless job, but that's what we stepped into, and – and once again, my first year uh, in 07 advancing with Dana, uh, we were <laughs> we were world champions. And that was uh, quite an experience as a first year guy. So you got a World Series ring out of that experience? You know, I've got a collection of rings from around. I think, you know, players and, and uh, ownership um, are so gracious when it comes to that. And, you know, most teams give rings to. Uh, pretty much everyone in the organization. They're not the same exact rings that the players get, rightly so, mm -hmm. but uh, I think everybody shares a little bit of love when it comes to winning a world championship because it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really, really difficult thing to do. And uh, was there a particular reason why you stepped away from the Red Sox and after the 08 World Series, but I uh, came back a year later? You know, it was a bit of a, uh, a personal tough time for me. I, I personally went through a, a divorce and uh, my son was still young, so I was trying to sort some things out personally. I entertained uh, becoming a, a head coach in, in college baseball. So it was really just for personal reasons. Uh, from a professional standpoint, Theo uh, is the top of the food chain as far as pe human beings are concerned and you know, people are concerned. And Theo left the door open for me to come back. Um, everybody was just so awesome. You know, when I you know, notified everyone that I was just going to take a different route with my career, and that didn't take take uh, very long. It was ten months that uh, I coached in college and uh, and came back to the Red Sox uh, just after that short little brief time at Jacksonville University. Saying was it a bit of a whirlwind to go from coaching in college to uh, going from like a Latin American coordinator or cross checker. It was it was actually the the whirlwind was going from professional baseball to college baseball. Mm -hmm. um, just tons of differences. You know, obviously the school isn't part of of the, you know, the transition, maybe from, from college to pro ball, but going back from, from professional baseball to college was a, was a huge change. And then the transition, you know, back into scouting, um, you know, there weren't too many uh, Anglo-Saxons running around the Dominican Republic at the time I started doing it. I think I was one of the, the few um, guys from the States that had, you know, you know, basically um, a white guy from, from Jacksonville, Florida, running around the Dominican scouting. So yeah, that was a, that was a big transition. 
and one that I absolutely loved. I dove right into the culture of food, loved the passion, and it's a, it's a different world. You know, it's still the wild, wild west down there where you can still uh, agree to sign a player on any given day. And it's, it's pretty cool that uh, on any given day, you can change the face of a franchise with, uh, with just one signed kid. Since uh, coming back in 2009, I mean, you obviously mentioned how well regarded Theo Epstein is. Uh, but from what, your point of view, what have been the key differences between leadership styles of guys like Theo or Ben Charrington? And then later on, you have Dave Dombrowski and Hein Bloom stepping in. I mean, that's that's a tough question. I mean, I think they, they are all obviously very, very smart baseball people. Um, they've all gone through different uh, educational backgrounds, whether or not they were interns or, or players, and each very unique, each very different. I mean, Dave Dombrowski is really different than, than Heim Bloom. Um, you know, Heim you know, is, a, is a tremendous communicator. He really wants to hear from everyone. Um, and I think Theo was very slim, similar, and it's not to say that like Ben or, or, or Dombrowski were any different. Um, I just think all of these guys are very, very smart. They're very, very passionate about um, and all of them that came through were gave a, a crap about the Red Sox. I mean, they were all in at all times. And it's, uh, I've been fortunate to go through all of these, these regime changes and fortunate that uh, they always greet me with an open, you know, sort of open arms and say, okay, you know, let's <laughs> show me what you got. And it's always, I think those guys always do that. They go in with sort of uh, an open, just sort of openness to, uh, to the employees that are there. I think Dombrowski for one, he didn't make a whole lot of changes uh, when he came in. And it just these guys are really, really solid human beings and great baseball people. And with you being on the international side of things, uh, how closely would you say you've been working with Eddie Romero over the years? Uh, on a professional side, very closely. On a personal side, very closely. Um, we've developed a friendship and a bond. Uh, we have a, a great working relationship where we can say it like it is. Uh, there's not a lot of places like that. I feel extremely comfortable to, uh, to just be myself and say it like it is. And I think we've both grown as scouts. We've grown as people. And it's been awesome. To, I think he's going to be uh, in the company of the names that, that you listed before. Uh, he's got that kind of skill set. Uh, and he's, he's also just a, a tremendous baseball man and even more just a, a really, really good person. And in your current role, you're a co-director of international scouting. So I was curious uh, what your relationship is like with your fellow uh, co-director in Rolando Pena. Yeah, that, that just kind of means I'm not good enough to be a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rolly. Yeah, co-director just means I'm not good enough to be a, a director all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> now, Rolly and I have uh, complementary skill sets. Um, you know, Rolly is, is Cuban-born, speaks fluent Spanish, uh, even though, you know, if you know Rolly, his Spanish isn't great, uh, nor is his English. Um, you know, I put Rolly right in that company with Eddie. We, it's a tremendous working relationship that we have together. Um, we have the same mission, you know, to sign the best players for the Red Sox. So he, he fits right in. You know, we, we've got this thing where we just check our egos and we only care about signing the right guys. And whatever that takes, uh, we're, we're all in. And uh, lucky to, to work with a guy like Rolly. Are you yourself fluent in Spanish or other languages besides English? You know, I'm, I'm more like conversational and certainly I have survival skills. I've been going down there, the Dominican and Latin America for about a dozen years now. My wife is from Puerto Rico. Uh, to be honest, when I get home, uh, I just I want to have a peanut butter and jelly and hear some English <laughs> when <laughs> I get home. So uh, but no, my English. 
English is much better than my Spanish. I understand most everything that I hear. Um, but it's, uh, it's certainly not an obstacle for me. Uh, I got nobody to blame but myself for not being completely fluent, but uh, I, I make my way. And uh, traveling throughout the Caribbean, how hard has that been since uh, the, with the pandemic going on? Like this is year three of the pandemic. So how much has that affected uh, your job, basically? At, at first, it, it did quite a bit. Um, we shut everything down. We were not traveling at all. And, uh, you know, I give Haim and our ownership group a tremendous amount of respect and, and credit because, you know, while some teams were cutting back, and, uh, and looking for ways to cut corners. Um, at that time, Heim was looking at rebuilding and, and actually building um, departments even stronger than they were, you know, specifically player development and scouting. Um, and then with our ownership, I mean, we, you know, we all just took little paper cuts, in my opinion, um, in the big picture of things. They were supportive of us. And uh, I just, I wouldn't imagine myself, any, you know, working anywhere else tremendous people, John and Tom, but uh, we shut it down. And I personally didn't get back out on the road uh, full time. I tried it a little bit before I was fully vaccinated. And once we were vaxxed and the vaccines came out, pretty much everything opened up back to as close to normal as we could do it. You know, if you've traveled at all, even domestically, some things have changed and uh, it certainly makes our, our jobs more challenging, but uh, we're out there in full force, uh, just like we always were. Uh, in those places, is it harder to get like a uh, video of those prospects? Because I mean, obviously, it's like a little different than like going from state to state. I mean, this is like country to country. Yeah, we, we have area scouts that live seven uh, area scouts roughly in the Dominican Republic. And uh, video has been um, mainstream for some time now. Uh, so the quality of video is solid. Um, and every team is using it. So it's uh, with the technology we have today, um, getting video is, isn't uh, one of the more difficult things that, that we get. Now, there's other technology that's, that's into the market down there as well with, uh, you know, each team is deploying whatever they, you know, they want to, but uh, we're certainly exploring with, with all the technology ourselves. Would that include like TrackMan? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I, I would say all 30 you know, helping you to see what you think you're seeing. It's also helpful for development. I mean, there's a lot of, of science behind what's going on with technology. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to see the best teams are going to marry the two. Um, there's everyone is deploying uh, people who can communicate the technology. It's really important because we've got to understand that there's human beings running this whole thing. And then ultimately there's human beings on the field. And and we're not uh, we're not playing a game, uh, a video game. You know, we're playing with real people and real people need to process information. And it's no different than a scout. I mean, you've got to process the technology that you're seeing and, and hearing and then use it with your experience and sort of old school uh, instinct to come up with a, a good thesis on why you want to sign a player. Not including the players on the 40 man roster, since we can't talk about them. But um, there are some guys, some Red Sox minor leaguers that you did play a role in signing. So I want to ask if you could offer like a scouting report, or just how you like you were first introduced to some of these guys, like Juan Daniel Encarnacion, Joan Martinez, or uh, Sedane Raffaella. So th those are some pretty cool names you brought up. I mean, Encarnacion, I give our, our area scout, Manny Nanita, credit. Encarnacion was a shortstop. He had only been pitching for 
uh, four or five months and, you know, just a, a stripped down big leaguer. He was skinny. He was tall. He had big hands and feet and he was really fluid and athletic. Um, I got to see him uh, one time. His velocity was right around the mid eighties. He could spin the ball a little bit and his arm worked really well and it was loose. Um, wasn't a significant investment, um, significant. I'm talking like, you know, mid six figures or something like that. I think we gave him 35 or $40,000 and, uh, to his credit, he's put in the work and he's really, uh, developed into a legitimate, you know, bonafide major league prospect. I think he's going to keep on starting as long as he can. He's a strike thrower. He doesn't have big stuff, but I, I think his stuff is improving. So he's sort of, what you envision, what you hope to see on, on a pitcher develop is that their velocity ticks up. They get bigger and stronger. They, they learn their bodies and their deliveries. And, uh, and now we're starting to see execution of stuff. So it's not, not surprising that he had a, a really good year. I look forward to, to seeing how he does this year. Uh, another guy you asked about, Sedan Rafaela, a, a really cool story there. I mean, you know, Curacao and Aruba are unique places on earth. Um, they, you know, their number one sport is baseball. And, they love it. They play it from when they're young. And Rafaela was, I think, 135 pounds when we first saw him um, playing second base, a right-handed hitter, which he still is. He was playing uh, a little bit of shortstop, but for the most part, second base. So now we see him playing center field and shortstop and third base playing all over the field. And, and he certainly fits into uh, to what a lot of teams want on their roster, and that, that's defensive flexibility. So this kid can really pick it. Um, if, if you've ever seen him play, he plays with a ton of passion takes a really big swing. He doesn't get cheated and it might work against him at times because he's not very big. You know, think Mookie bets size when you, when you see this kid <clears throat> by no comparison, is he Mookie, but he, that, that, that's what the, the stature looks like. And he brings it every day, you know, kid loves to play. And that's probably what stuck out is his makeup and his, his hunger to, uh, to play the game. And uh, he's got as good a chance as anybody. I mean, a, another guy we gave $10,000 to, and it's his uh, a credit to his his work ethic and his makeup on where he is today. And then uh, John Martinez. So Roly saw Joan. I think we Joan. gave Joan uh, five thousand dollars, maybe ten. Uh, passed over right hander in the Dominican Republic. It seems like every year in the big leagues, you'll you'll see somebody, some obscure name that maybe you haven't heard of, and and there are passed over arms, passed over meaning guys that don't sign on their sixteenth birthday, or or when they're sixteen, they might sign when they're seventeen or eighteen in the market. Uh, for some reason, under, undervalues those players. So you can find uh, pitchers like Joan if you go out there and work. We call it getting on the ground. I call it just getting my boots on and getting a little bit dirty and just scouring the island and going to different programs. And uh, and Roly uh, saw this guy. He was cross-checked. Uh, I don't remember who the area scout was, but uh, all of our guys do a tremendous job down there of just digging and staying on some of these passed over arms and he won 92 and now he's probably bumping in the, in the upper 90s so a really good find um a guy that's uh, probably going to stay in the bullpen and and hopefully he can continue to uh to refine his execution of pitches because he does have stuff how closely do you track these guys once they're in the states or like in the uh dominican summer league is that something you're paying attention to every day like box scores or reports or stuff like that yeah, I think you're always a fan once you sign a guy. Um, the area scouts do the same thing. I mean, once we sign them, you know, our, our names are attached to them, specifically the area guy, and we're always pulling for them. So we're reading game reports and occasionally watching watching games. Uh, we have the 
the, the capacity, the technology to watch games all over our system. So you can, you know, you can do it on minorleaguebaseball.com as well, where you can pull up games. So I think everyone top to bottom is always following these guys and, and following their maturation and, and hoping to, to watch them sort of continue to grow and continue to go to the next level and perform. We're always, we're always watching them. And then on that same note, sort of, what about guys who uh, end up getting traded for other players, such as Aldo Ramirez? Uh, that's something that uh, I personally don't attach to um, with any type of, you know, sentiment. I think, you know, Aldo got us a pretty good hitter. And I think our jobs as scouts are to find as much talent as we can, the best talent we can, and put it into our system. Um, you know, we're, we're scouts. We're, we're not the GM or the president. That's, that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to put as many good players in the system as we can. And if we get value for a guy, that's outstanding. I mean, then that means we did our job, that another club values a player that we valued, and then we end up getting something in return. So uh, we got a pretty good hitter for Aldo. Uh, and that's, you know, back to our previous conversation is we'll continue to follow Aldo. I mean, he's a, he's a teenage arm that, that we really liked and uh, wish him the best with the Nationals. Uh, did you receive any sort of recognition after that trade was made? considering the impact Schwarber made with the Red Sox? You know, I personally don't look for any recognition. Um, you know, what, the guys that, that are in it know how he was acquired. You know, our, our, uh, our area scout, Sotero Torres, turned us on to him. And again, I just go back to the area scouts and how hard they work. And, and they deserve the credit. Um, you know, it, it, it's – it's, it's tough to go in and cross-check a guy and only get one or two looks and put your neck on the line and say, yeah, okay, we're going to give this guy half a million dollars at six. Also really, really important that our area scouts are convicted and Sotero deserves all the credit on that one. Looking ahead a bit now, I know the 2022 international signing period opens later this month and uh, without giving too much away, could you offer any insight to how active the Red Sox could be during that period? I think, you know, all 30 teams are, are really active. Um, it's still an open market. There's no draft down there. And teams are scouting players that are anywhere from 21 years old to 12 years old. And we're, you know, teams are deploying multiple people, multiple scouts, cross checkers. You'll see uh, assistant GMs running around down there. You'll see domestic scouts running around and, we're invested as much as anyone. Um, it's a, it's a daily process with us. We're, we're always watching video. We're always combing through our area scouts, pref lists, you know, preferential order of the players in their area that they like the best. So expect us to be, you know, as active as we always are. I can't really point you as, as far as, you know, whether or not we've got a big fish to land or several, I could just tell you that our goal is to use all of our resources and, uh, and if we do that, uh, I think we will have some cream rise to the top with, a, with each signing class. And that's certainly our goal. Your thoughts on the international signing period moving from uh, July to January because of the pandemic? Yeah, we might stay this way. Um, you know, a July 2nd sign, a guy wasn't going to play his first professional game for almost a year. So now you're looking at, you know, he signed in January 15. He's in the academy right away. We start training them mostly, mostly with strength and conditioning. I mean, some of these guys have poor diets. 
I mean, so just feeding them for a couple of weeks before, before anything. So we get them into our Academy. I, I like it. I mean, it's, uh, it, I can see it staying like this. I can see us someday if they're ever having the draft in January. Um, but I like signing them and giving them uh, a few months to sort of get their feet and bearings. And then, uh, and then they start playing in their, in their first professional season. So I think it's pretty cool. And your thoughts on if an international draft could be on the way? I know that's been floated around before. You know, I've heard it uh, for the last 12 years, and I, I'll believe it when I see it. I, I know that Major League Baseball prioritizes this to see. Uh, I don't really have an opinion whether or not it would be good for baseball or not because, like I said, all 30 teams are working down there. And uh, you get lucky if you work sometimes. And we've got some fruits from our labor, and certain teams – would tell you that they work really hard and they don't want to draft and other teams uh, would tell you that they do. So I don't have a, an opinion one way or another. If it comes, I can tell you that the Red Sox are going to be prepared for it. Um, we, we certainly have already had discussions on what we would do. We're already having some training and uh, if it comes, we'll be prepared. And if it doesn't, we're going to, it's business as usual. We just keep working. And uh, like, like I said, our, our job is to sign players. Do you think that could come as soon as this new CBA or would that be too sudden? Well, I, I don't think it's, <laughs> I don't think it's high on the priority list with huh. the players. I, I can promise you that uh, if it comes, it comes, but uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't anticipate seeing this thing much before, you know, 2023, Some, something in that would be my best guess. I could be off a year or two, but see this happen. I just don't know how important it is to the players union right now. All right. Well, uh, that was my last question. So, Todd, thank you very much for your time today. Um, I'm, I mean, I wish I could ask you more, but lockout kind of prevents that from happening. So, uh, all good, man. I, I really appreciate you having me, Brendan. Uh, pretty cool show you got, man. Oh, uh, thank you. Is there anything else you want to like plug or promote before we go? Uh, no, no, not really. I think I covered it all, man. There's, there's no plugs. Uh, no social media accounts or anything like that. No, I, I, you know, I call myself Rambo, you know, I like to fly under the radar and, uh, and sort of do my thing. So yeah, I got, I got no social media or anything like that, but if you see an international player in the big leagues, hopefully I had a little piece of it, but uh, yeah, if I'm going to plug anybody, it's going to be our area scouts out there with their boots on the ground, doing all the work. All right, cool. Uh, thank you again. And uh, happy new year. You too, Brennan. Thank you, man.